I've got the taties in. Look at the size of it. It's bigger than last year. It's a Mass- whopper. Massive fire, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love fire. Yeah. This year, all I've done is I've pulled down a shed, <laughs> set fire to it on, on, on the beach here. Oh, I got. pulled down the storage units as well. That's why it's so big. Oh, my God. <laughs> we can you? rebuild. Oh. There's plenty well, of driftwood. But the thing is, you see, we need a nice big fire. The reason we need a fire is little stories around the campfire because it's special. Spooky Mon! Spooky Dookie Dookie! <laughs> <laughs> so it's October, which is our favourite season. It's Aww. spooky Halloween month. It's a lead up to the 31st of October, which is going to be Halloween. But for the entire month, we're going to be doing stories, reading stuff out, and having a bit of spooky fun. Oh, man, I can't wait. This is the best, the best! Well, uh, the, the, the thing we have, though, the only issue we have is, you know, like last year, we were furloughed from the uh, lighthouse for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plenty of time, didn't we, Arky? We had lots and lots of time. So we had lots of time to sort of go around and do lots of interviews and, and talk to people and get spooky stories and stuff. And it worked really well. It was really, really popular. It was our, our Halloween month last year. And if you haven't listened to it, go back and have yeah. a listen because it was absolutely cracking. I was so proud of it. But this year, we're in a bit of a quandary. We're both busy, busy boys at the exactly. lighthouse. So what we do, we, we'd like your help. So what we'd like to know is if you have had a spooky experience, if you've had something weird happen to you, or if you know somebody with a spooky story, what we'd like is, there's like two possibilities really. One is to record your own little voicemail about it. You know, yeah, just, yeah. Everyone's got a phone, just click record on your phone, you'll have a little sound file, tell us what your story is, and you can just email it to us at uh, crackandcovepodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can do send a little link to us as well uh, uh, on Twitter at Kraken Cove uh, or on Instagram as well at Kraken Cove Pod. And we're also on Facebook. Now, if you're not too sure how to send a file like that, um, just send us a little message. Exactly. Well, oh, our kid will help you out. I ain't got a scooby doo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I've got various methods to actually download in, uh, and or help you upload your files. But what we want, your voice would be absolutely amazing. If you're a little bit shy though, just write it down, type it out, or send a little message, you know what I mean? And, and send me that message, again, like I said, at crackandcovepodcast at gmail.com. And, and I'll read it out for you, or maybe Benny will or something. Yeah, I'll give know. it a shot, man. Just yeah. do some of these lazy landlubbers. <laughs> <laughs> send us some stories, we're into October yeah. and we've got none. <laughs> so please... Well, I, I haven't been really on the ball, I've been a very busy boy. Oh man, the, the, the toil of the lighthouse never ceases this year. Yeah, it has All been the new regulations work. and that, it's crazy, man, crazy work. So please, we would really like that. I think what we're talking about doing is maybe either one, if we can get one, or two listener story episodes. But the good thing is, mm-hmm. as a little bit of a, a, an incentive, we have a special prize. We have one of the very, very, very rare copies of the book Damnable Tales, a folk horror anthology, selected and illustrated by Richard Wells. 
Now they've got stories nearby uh, Robert Aikman, Shirley Jackson, M.R. James, all sorts of people. Ooh, so it's a wonderful you're giving compilation. That shit away. No, no, no. Are you sure about this kid? This is actually, you can't get it anymore. It's totally sold what? out as this, right? And you just open it up, it just creaked a new yeah, book it, open it, there. Got, like, I'm, oh. not even, I'm not even going to open this book properly. Oh. But the good thing is, it was actually it's done by, uh, this book has been done by um, Unbound. Yeah, now, yeah. where Unbound do books, it's a brilliant way of doing things. Is it's almost like crowdfunded, so you yeah. buy the book before the book's been made. Right, and if there's yeah, enough yeah. people do it, you get this wonderful books created. Yeah, uh, and, and that's what's happened. Be a the, publisher, really, isn't it? <laughs> well, the good thing is, it's it's actually illustrated by uh, a guy called uh, Richard Wells, and he, he's a liner cut artist, a bit like myself, you know. And he's illustrated loads and loads of images in this, and it's his own compilation of stories. Um, and then the foreword. Well, the book is also done by a uh, friend of the show, Ben Myers. Benjamin oh, Myers, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's got a foreword for it. What, only four words? Yeah, only four words. <laughs> ben, I thought it were a writer. <laughs> ben Myers likes books. <laughs> well done. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, honestly, this book is an absolute treat. It looks Ooh, amazing. It does, it looks really, I just want it now. And the good thing about it is it's only one person in the book yeah. has the name repeated twice because it's got like a thank you list in the back. Ah. And the reason I've got two of these books is I bought myself one and, and uh, my wife bought me one as well. <laughs> and because we contributed, we both get our name in the back. Oh, nice. So I, I'm in there as Matt Hooper and Matthew Hooper in there. <laughs> So I'm cool. the only one who gets the name twice in this book. So, oh, what a hook that is. So what we're saying is, is the best story that we get is going to get this book. I'm going to post it out to you nice and spanky. And, and it's, it's an incredible tome. So good luck and get your stories into Yeah, us. please, guys, get them in, because let's have a spooky one. So to start with now, what we're going to do is we're just going to get ourselves uh, more soft. I might even do some, do some sausages on yeah, sticks. Yeah, I've got, I'm going to get blanky around me. I'm yeah. still a bit. And we're going to get cosy on the beach here at Cracker Cove. I'm going to have a little bit more of a, a sinister look at stories this week. Nice. Let's get tucked in. <laughs> This is, it's from uh, International Business Times, is this story. <laughs> oh, I a, a spooky by, one in there. Yeah, by Amanda from there. And it says, it's a real-life horror. A new homeowner finds a ragdoll in the wall cavity. Nice. Right, I mean, those ragdolls are scary. Yeah, anyway, yeah, they're getting more popular. That's it, you know. So dolls, which are supposed to be lovable playthings for a child, are often portrayed as possessed by a demon in horror movies, right? So some popular examples include Annabelle. Don't know that one. I've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, Child's Play. Uh, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't be a bit of chucky. Yeah. And, and The Twilight Zone. So I do actually remember one about a dog. Oh, there's something dark. I do love Twilight Zone. Yeah. It's so cool. But mischievous person may have been inspired by this movie trope. Or something sinister happened in an old home in Surrey, recently purchased by Jonathan Lewis. Right, not John Lewis. It's yeah. not like, <laughs> a massive department store. Or anything, you know? <laughs> so the new homeowner, a primary school teacher, 
picked up the keys to the house on Friday and decided to examine the void beneath the stairs that had been boarded up. <laughs> nice. So he took to the wall with a hammer and soon discovered a rag doll dressed in a pinstripe dress and bonnet and was clutching a sinister note. Oh, God. The note says, Dear reader, new homeowner, thank you for freeing me. My name is Emily. My original owners lived in this house in 1961. I didn't like them, so they had to go. All they did was sing and be merry. It was sickening. Stabbing was my choice of death for them, <laughs> so I hope you have knives. <laughs> that's a wind-up. That's got to be a wind-up. What a thing to do. I hope you've got knives. <laughs> and it says, hope you sleep well. <laughs> Shit, we've only got axes. What are we going to do with Ooh, I want to see the boards. Is it new boards? Have they snuck it behind? I want to look at the nails. Oh, give me that. <laughs> oh, so they punched through it, really, haven't they? Well, yeah. Well, that's a bit of a coincidence. They punched through the plasterboard straight at the doll. Well, I think they just sort of like started hammering a hole and then thought there's that. something back here. Hammered the hole bigger so they could see it and they realised, holy shit, it's a spooky doll. Yeah, it looks quite white, the paper, doesn't it? I've found old paper and it only goes quite yellow if it's from the 60s, 60 years of it and being behind a wall. Oh, no, <laughs> the imagination it. of oh, it. Oh, no. What did we leave in that tin at my old house? We left something really awful in a biscuit tin. What? We did, you were helping me clear out that really squat cellar uh, and uh, we, we had a biscuit tin and we opened it, we kind of found it. Like, oh, we opened it and we like, no, in it, we're like, oh, let's hide something in it for the next day. I can't, I can't remember that at all. Uh, can't you? No, no, <laughs> we no, 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 idea. <laughs> <laughs> it must be my dark half. Yeah, it? no, it was something a bit pervy, obviously, with those. Uh, <laughs> can't, I can't think what it was. It was like some picture of an old jazz manga. <laughs> no, I don't think it was that. It was just some. You know, like someone had been keeping it, they were like slightly weird and perfect. Oh, I don't know, I'll have to try to remember Nudie that one. playing cards? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where my pack went, actually, that I used to have a belter pack, I think. Uh, <laughs> things with nudie playing cards, they were the, the haven of the weirdest things. <laughs> yes, and, yeah. Uh, and you'd see sort of like, I mean, it used to be that you know, like porn mags and things kicking about, <laughs> and, but then, then you'd suddenly go, oh, I've got a pack of uh, nudie playing cards. All right, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and, and the obscenities that were in there, yeah, the rainbow of <laughs> the worst one was always the Joker. <laughs> Ace of Spades are quite good as well. Ace of Spades are only because I I'd seen a, a pack of playing cards. Here. Now uh, I'm sorry to offend the listeners, but all these horrible stuff are going on, right? And and then the Joker was a completely bald woman, right? Somebody's <laughs> <laughs> doing a poo on her head. <laughs> Oh no! And I just thought, oh. what on earth? And now oh. what I could never figure out is right. Oh, under what circumstances were these things made? Right? Was it some yeah. some European playing card outlet? Was <laughs> today we'll be doing the Joker's? Yeah. Where is the bald woman? Yeah. Save her! Yeah. Oh, it's dark, isn't it? There? It's dark. Ooh, and where did they get printed? Uh, in oh. Europe. <laughs> yeah. Odd bunch, odd bunch. Uh, we digress from a dollar, kid. Once again. <laughs> so Lewis told the Liverpool Echo about his discovery. He said, I've just bought the house and I got the keys on Friday. And I kind of knew that this void underneath the stairs had been boarded up. 
there was a wire coming out where the previous owners had the fridge, but I didn't know where the wire was plugged in, so I knocked a bit through first, see what was in there. Then I knocked a hole the size of a fist and shone a light in, and the doll was there. Oh, wow. But the teacher's not scared about it, and he finds it hilarious. He mentioned the estate agent and told him the kitchen was only done about four or five years ago. <laughs> 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 so they must have just sort of done it then. Yeah, you know? yeah. But the weird thing is, those rag dolls, those, the, the, I think they're called a polyam doll or something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, there is actually, I haven't had a chance to research this, and I will be looking at it a little bit later on. Um, there is a history of them being like a spooky item. Yeah. And... Uh, I've known that they appear and disappear at random to these dolls. Right. And I've I've sort of seen a case where uh, somebody had said like they'd gone into a room, somebody'd gone into like a room in the house, and like I think it was they'd gone into like the sister's house or something. They'd gone into one room. There's a massive Pollyanna doll just laid there on bed. God. And she'd come out of the room and say, "Oh, when did you get when did you get your doll?" And she uh, says, "What what were you on about?" Because you know the big, big old Pollyanna doll. What, what were you doing about? <laughs> you know. You I don't know what you're on about this rag doll, you know. Wow. Went through, it was gone. <gasps> but she'd seen it as clear as day there, this massive yeah, doll, yeah. you know what I mean? And there's lots and lots and lots of cases of that being the creepy doll, of being the weird doll. And disappearing and appearing. I'll tell you one thing, if you walked into the room and saw it, the best thing to do, do a pull on its head. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know it real then, don't you? <laughs> you can smell it out as you go. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that it disappeared and just left the turn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Turn's gone as well. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they're, they're a creepy doll, you know? Yeah, they are creepy doll. I think it's said eyes in it and stuff. There's another one even creepier than Annabelle. Uh, in, it's like a little sailor um, doll. And that that does sound really dark. Again, it's wiped from Benny's memory, but that I remember hearing oh, it. Oh, I, I do know the one. The one in the, in the, the, the loft. No, it's like on show. It's like um, it's yeah, you know, he was in a loft. All oh, right, yeah, he was in a loft. Then right. it's in a cabinet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe it was Robert the doll. I think it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Robert the doll. And the weird thing about Robert the doll was the owner of the doll was oh. called Robert as well. He was called uh, Robert Eugene Otto. An artist described as eccentric who belonged to a prominent Key West family. So you had sort of like. Uh, uh, and they reckon it actually was a Stife doll. Do you know the Stife there with the little button in the ear? Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah it's like a button in the ear does the Stife dolls. Yeah. And they're very, it's like the most expensive yeah. bear dolls you can get. It's like <laughs> the original bear doll. Uh, and I think it might have been... Um, but the, the, the problem they had with like Robert the doll was it, 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 you could hear it moving around in the, the attic and stuff. And it, it, it talked. But this... Robert Eugene Otto, who actually owned it, he, mm. he became more and more sort of obsessed by the doll. Mm. Spoke to it and sort of like a, a, he apparently gave him advice and stuff. Oh you know. God! I think it might have even been a, a, a sort of like a, a, I think it may have killed somebody. Well, something. I think if you abuse the doll, it proper gives you bad luck. Or if something really bad happens if you give it some chirps. Yeah, I think he's saying like Otto married Annette Parker uh, in Paris on May the 3rd, uh, 1930. The couple returned to the Otto family home in Key West to live there until Otto died in 1974. His wife died there two years later. 
And, um, and after the death, the Eaton Street home containing the doll was sold to Myrtle Reuter, who owned it for 20 years. So they're saying it was sort of like, um, in 1994, this doll was donated to East Martello Museum in Key West. And I've heard even now that people who work there at that museum, that they sort of hear the doll speaking oh or doing God. stuff. It's, it is super creepy. <laughs> we, we, we'll, we, maybe we'll do a little thing. We'll yeah, it could be worth it, because it is a spooky tale, is that one? Yeah, there's, there's a few, maybe we'll... It, Maybe we can do a Halloween special on dolls. <laughs> oh, that'd be creepy. Yeah, man. I'd love to go to Key West, though. Have you yeah. ever seen Key Lago? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Key Lago. Well, Key West is that. Key Lago's down south, isn't it? Oh, right. Because Key West is actually up in the north. That's oh, the well. sort of new, new, uh, main New England there. Yeah. I, the place I want to go most of it, on a part from Japan, which I'm dying to go yeah, to, yeah. is basically that, that near the eastern seaboard yeah. of the US, the, uh, up in the New England area. Yeah. And especially this time of year. It's mm. insanely beautiful. Yeah, for um, But then again, I, I've always been uh, pushed back because when I obviously as a little kid, you as well, we mm. we loved uh, Steam King the Halls. Yeah, in Maine. Oh, Salem's a lot. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to dig it out and read it and watch the movie. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, that's a spooky dollar drop at the doll, but that's been a weird doll that's been discovered mm. behind this wall. But, as I said before, this. this Particular type of doll, this Annabelle doll, or this sort of like, you know, this particular type of doll does appear and reappear a lot. So, mm. who's to say it was placed there by people years mm. ago? Maybe it's gone now. That's my well done. Maybe it's re- 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 sort of appear at your house next. Sleep tight. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you have knives. <laughs> <laughs> To go into sort of like um, for Halloween, we need to go into the crypto corner, don't we? Oh, need to get yes. a cryptozoological yeah. sort of like things. And I'm, I'm a big fan of anything like this. I am, yeah. yeah. The thing I like about cryptozoological uh, creatures is you don't necessarily know if they're real or not. I mean, yeah, unless again, you get some good video footage of them and that, yeah, yeah. you don't. Know if yeah. good and their shoes. Go <laughs> <laughs> <Get on> with <laughs> it. <laughs> so, um, this one we're looking at this week is the sushi. Sushinoko. We'll say that again, our kid. Sushinoko. <laughs> <laughs> well pronounced, well yeah. pronounced. <laughs> I'll edit it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit of a strange one because I, I, my favourite cryptozoological creatures are ones which might possibly be real. I love yeah. this sort of thing. As in real like evolution or spooky real? Um, well, if you think about it, when you say spooky real, that is just real. It oh, like a dimensional yeah, kind of. But I think there's some creatures which are potentially, when we talk about being interdimensional beings, mm. um, I think these things we've discovered already, weird creatures, which could already be interdimensional. There might be things that sort of, which are very mysterious and disappear. I mean, like, look at um, like the, the big cat sightings in yeah, Syria and stuff like yeah. that, and all over it in the UK. People are seeing big cat sightings. Yeah. Um, 
but they're not finding any signs of big cats. So cats could be a creature which is already interdimensional. Yeah, the Cheshire few. cat, isn't it, in a way, disappearing yeah, and appearing. Or even like the family cat. Family yeah. cats are very odd. They sort of appear and disappear seemingly at random. Yeah. So it seems to be able to travel massive distances. Some cats have disappeared, family pets have disappeared for 10 years mm. and suddenly reappeared out yeah. of their house. Yeah. Or they moved and the cat found the cat when they moved and the cats found them. And yeah, so they're, they're, and there's another I'm going to be thinking about as well. The cat is obviously a creature which is associated with witches, which yeah. is familiar. So potentially we already have like a, a, an interdimensional being living in our homes. Ooh, that's not good. my home because I'm allergic to cats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of cats. I respect them, but I don't want them in my house. Well, the issue I've got with cats is they just kill birds all the time. And mm. I just think, come on, mate. I, just think, I think it's the dookie and wee-wee that just seems like a new killer. You yeah. know, to me, it's just like, oh, God, it's just like the worst thing in the world. Cat shit is hideous. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's really, really. It should be handled with care. Flamethrowers and, you know, yeah. like men in suits and stuff. But again, this particular one, the Soshinoko, mm -hmm. Tsushinoko, this also could be a creature that might be real, might be interdimensional. Who knows? Japanese. Yeah. It's Japanese, and it <laughs> translates as it means dirt child or child of hammer. Whoa, child of hammer. Child of hammer. Dirt child. Dirt child. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? Dirt child. <laughs> 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 Even though I've grown up, I'm still known as dirt child. <laughs> <laughs> Benny had the technique of walking dog muck into any house. <laughs> <laughs> Quite late into my life as well. I did well with that little habit, didn't I? <laughs> I think it was back in the sort of like 80s, 70s, 80s and 90s, there was just a lot more dog shit about it. Yeah, it could be actually, yeah. people pick it up And you walk on it. <laughs> if it's there. So this is a snake-like cryptid from the mountainous regions of western Japan. And these creatures are commonly reported as slithering deep within the watery caves of Shikoku and Honshu. Signs of Tsushinoko may be in your area include hearing a mouse-like squeak coming from a river, or in some cases, a seemingly human voice mimicking your conversation from the depths of a dank cave. Oh man, that is actually scary. Or an echo. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you hear something? Can you hear something? Oh shit! It's a snake. <laughs> it's a dirt child. <laughs> so the reporting to be about between thirty and eighty centimeters long. Wait a minute, that ain't big at all. So about a foot to a couple of foot. All right. But the thing is with them is they're known as the Tsuchinoko in Western Japan are also known as the Bachihebi in Northeastern Japan. Now the appearance of these, right, it depends sort of like on the various sightings, the Tsuchinoko is widely regarded to look like a very wide common s snake with a central girth wider than its head and tail, so it's like, it's like a barrel is... I like that, is that spooky? I want it really fat. Yeah, really well that's Is it thing, white? Yeah. I hope it's white. Right, it's, it's large, got large plate-like scales running down Ooh. its body. It reportedly has fangs and venom similar to common snakes. And some accounts also describe the Tsuchinoko as being able to jump up to a metre in distance, <laughs> followed immediately by a second jump while still in the air. Oh, so it's like that's a, it's good. almost like a computer game, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Mario. <laughs> It's also reported to sometimes swallow its tail and roll like a wheel. Oh, that's brilliant. Similar to the hoop snake, which is another legend like this. Wow. I'll come back to this in a second. Yeah, yeah. So according to the legend, some Suchinoko are able to speak and are notorious liars. <laughs> oh, cool. And they're also said to have a taste for alcohol. Ah. 
So the Suchinoko is also referenced in the Kojiki, the oldest book about the history of Japan. Oh, this is ace. Oh, I don't want to digress, but I'm digressing. <laughs> the, yeah. uh, the, fox, the magical fox in Japan with its nine tails. Uh, yeah, it's, it's nine magical tails on it, and it, it's basically it's a scampering little magical fox, but it's got a little ball, and if you can trick the ball off it, the fox will say to you, oh, please give me back my ball, please give me back. Yeah. He say, no, no, give me a wish, and he can get a wish out of the fox, you know oh, what I mean? Oh, wow. But it's a really cute, I love all Japanese, uh, and it's an old one, like, like, what's that book you just said? Uh, this is in the Kojiki. Yeah, it's like a really old legend of it, yeah. like a white fox with nine tails. It's what, what's that? Cute. I forgot what one is it. There's one. Is it a raccoon? The Japanese raccoon. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard about that one? No. It's got massive knackers. <laughs> <laughs> but they're so big, they are. They, 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 they almost use it as like a weapon, or it's. <laughs> <laughs> what you get clouted by some they are that, that, big furry they, knackers? They so. Massive. We will, again, we'll have to like corky ball size or what? Oh no, no, no! I think <gasps> this thing, the, each one's probably the size of gigantic pumpkins. Oh, give and, they, and they have to run around carrying it. This is this is a mystical creature. You see, oh, this, uh, misty! I think it would be. There's a lot of Japanese legends about yeah. this thing with massive knackers. No, it's, <laughs> if, 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 if you remember your hamster you used to have with a massive knackers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we disgusting. We thought he trapped his paw in his little wheel, and that we're all like, oh, and he's like, eh, it's just his ball. But yeah, so going back to the Tsuchinoko, right, it's a popular and well-known cryptid in Japan, mm. with many residents believing in its existence and claiming to have seen it. Right. So it's not like they don't think, oh, this is a weird animal. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's actually yeah, real. Yeah, grandfather saw yeah. one, it's real. On May the 3rd, an annual Tsuchinoko festival is held in Higashishirawaka. Higashishirawaka in the Gifu Prefecture. Fucking hell, this is a difficult one. Oh, yeah, I didn't catch that one. <laughs> <laughs> Higashishirakawa. All right, yeah, right. that area. Yeah, and you, you can say this. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say fucking Starsky enough, you know? <laughs> There's something wrong with me, no. <laughs> I'm not, in, even, in, I'm not even going to translate it though. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, say it. Start skiing up. Oh, did he do it? <laughs> He's got it wrong again. Start ski. Start skiing, Hutch. It's still not saying Oh, right. fuck you. Get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. In the Gifu Prefecture, that's where this is, right? Higashishi <laughs> Rakawa, that's where the. the well, you're getting better, I'm getting better, getting better, yeah. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. <laughs> so, and that's where the legend, roots of the legend can be traced. And at the festival. Participants go uh, Tuchinoko hunting with a 1,280,000 yen award for anyone who can find one. Oh, that's so exciting. And that's $11,500. Oh, that'd be such good fun, that. Yeah. Cryptid hunting in Cryptid Japan. Cryptid in Japan. Oh. You just get a load of, sort of like, we'll get a load of rice wine down there. Yeah, like, man. And can we just like samurai and shit? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there'll, there'll probably be a special outfit though. Yeah, Because you know? yeah. the Japanese are a bit like this. Yeah, because like and I'm not even knocking. Them. They just know how to have a lot of fun. They do, don't they? And have the outfit to wear while having fun. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was a big fan of the Japanese. So the government of Yoshi Okayama once offered a 20 million yen award. Well, that's two hundred thousand dollars. Nice. And that was a, an award for the successful capture of a Tsuchinoko. And in June 1994. A man named Kazuaki Noda and his wife reported having come across a huge snake with a thick body like a beer bottle and a head described as being like a tortoise. On May the 8th, 2000, um, in the year 2000, yeah, yeah. 
A farmer named Suki Tanaka reported having come across two metallic coloured snakes with tails like rats. Ooh. In the same year in June, a woman named Mitsuko Arima reported a Suchinoko swimming along a river, and she described her experience as follows. I was surprised. I just pointed at it and asked, Who are you? Who are you? Whoa! <laughs> it didn't answer me, but just stared. It had a round face, and it didn't take its eyes off me. I can still see the eyes now. They were big and round, and it looked like they were floating on the water. I've lived over 80 years and I've never seen anything like that in my life. One notable case involved a farmer allegedly spotting the Tsuchinoko while cutting grass. He described it as having a face similar to being like a Dorimon. <laughs> Doraemon! <laughs> and it's a, that's a popular Japanese cartoon character and we will post a picture of Dorimon on there. <laughs> yeah, lovely. And he reported to have injured it with his weed whacker before the creature made its escape. She got beaten Dorimon! <laughs> that's that's I sick! Know. So a few days later, an old woman discovered its dead body lying uh. by the side of a stream and she buried it, not realising how important it was. Oh. And when the word eventually got out, the local government sent out a team to get, dig it up and send it to the university for examination. The professor who examined the creature said it was, must be a Tsuchinoko, but scientifically speaking, it was a kind of snake. And many other bodies and shed skin have come forward, but those are mostly thought to be from known species of snake. Now, most Tsuchinoko sightings are thought to be misidentified known species of snakes. Yeah. It is also possible the sightings could be of snakes that have recently been fed, giving them a bulging middle. Yeah, and they do do yeah. that, don't they? They could also be misidentified sightings of blue-tongued skinks, which are kept as pets by some Japanese people. And it is also possible they may have escaped their homes and been spotted by other people. So they just don't what know. the hell is that animal that they're on about? Is that a weird snake that's a, a not native? Skink is a, is a reptile. It's right. a, big, a big, like a chubby reptile. A chubby reptile. They do have a bright blue tongue. Wow. So they are quite an unusual creature. And I suppose yeah, if you saw yeah. one the wild, you think, what the bloody hell's that? Yeah, yeah very it's just quite a skate Yeah, so it's a, but you know, I'm not too sure. I think, again, these sort of creatures, it's like the Mongolian deathworm. That sounds yeah. very similar to the Mongolian deathworm as well. well. Pete's obsessed with that bloody Mongolian deathworm. Yeah. Always on the back. Right, you don't need yeah. yeah. Fuck off, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Pete. <laughs> but yeah, we will do the Mongolian death worm, you know. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's another one that's on the Get him off me do. back at least. Yeah, it, it's super interesting, mm. you know. But again, these. Um, going back as we said before was at the hoop snake oh yeah 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 in many many different cultures there is reports of a snake that will bite its tail and roll towards it that's its way of getting around wow and that's it that's it and that's also its attack it, oh. that's how it gets at you at speed <laughs> and then sort of bites you what's that ah! <laughs> but the uh, but no the mongolian death worm again big thick bodied snake yeah. strange meant to be super super deadly um, it's like tremors on a small scale, doesn't yeah, it? That kind of yeah, worm, yeah. some underground can get in a faster yeah, strange, move underground. Got strange powers, sort of yeah. thing. But yeah, but maybe the Tsuchinoko could be the Japanese version of the Mongolian deathworm. Wow. Who knows? But those who have sort of seen it, you know, have, have, uh, 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 seem to be quite spooked by the sighting. Well, one, one thing I, I thought it could be is um, I think it possibly might have been a giant salamander. Yeah. Now, have you ever seen the giant? Uh, well, I mean, we get salamanders in this country, right? They get bouters. Do they? Yeah, they get bouters. Salamanders get. What well, down south? Somewhere warm. <laughs> a bit warmer, yeah. They do prefer, yeah. but but then there's two areas which are the known to grow to sort of big sizes. Yeah. Uh, one of them is the, the high mountains of Japan, cool. uh, and they actually one of them is that the 
most mysterious side is the high mountains of California. Wow. And when we talk about, I, don't, I, I mean, you know that bit. Do you want to see a picture of a giant salamander? Yes, please. So we've got a giant salamander. This is a giant salamander. That's how big the guy. Slug with the hounds, that is gross. Well, but if you look at the picture of a giant salamander, like <laughs> there, oh, that's think of the Tuchinoco. Yeah, wide, big head. It's got a big head, and the, these things can grow to be like five feet long. They're massive, very, very heavy, super rare. And in foliage, you won't see the little. Look at the little. Oh, hands. look at the little <laughs> ball. <laughs> oh, that's so special. Uh, oh, you won't want to mess with one. You know oh. what I mean? It's, I don't know if they're dangerous or anything, but I know they're absolutely weird. But the pictures we've seen of these things, like I said, it can get to have been about five, five and a half feet long, sort of thing. Are they the amphibious then? In and out of water, or are they just in they're water? They live in very clean streams. Mm. And bottom of very, they like clean water. They're not like a mucky water animal. Yeah, they like yeah. to live in there. But they reckon they can live for even hundreds of years. Oh, that's magical on its and own. These conversations about talking about some of these giant salamanders because they're, they're sort of like mainly in Japan and China. Yeah. The biggest ones seem to be from Japan. Wow. But there's been reports of people seeing giant salamanders in the lakes and streams and rivers of uh, the very remote areas of America. Yeah. Which are insanely big. They're thinking wow. like ten feet long. That sort of sighting. You know, massive, massive creatures. Oh, and they're just eating up like out they can get really tight. Yeah, they're really eating like fish and being yeah. some of things at the bottom and being grubbing around Fox in the mugs, yeah, yeah, and, and, and shellfish and things like this. Oh, that's it. Yeah, Look at his little land. <laughs> <laughs> so again, now we'll post pictures of this in our in our show notes. As yeah. well. We'll put it on the Instagram and we'll put it on Twitter and on Facebook. Ooh. So we'll have a little look, we'll have a look there. They do so seem like magical, the salamanders. I don't know what I've heard I think before. they do, yeah. Do they change colour? Well, things it? with salamanders, the, um, they were so, weirdly enough, for an amphibian, they're associated with fire. Alright. Um, and the thought they were born of fire. Wow. Now, if you've ever heard, uh, if you've ever the book uh, Fahrenheit four five one. Yes, yeah. Um, they are um, their sign because what it was is basically they're the firemen. They used to go make fires. They used to burn, go around burning books. Yeah. They found any books that burn books, and their their symbol was a salamander on their helmet. Right. And it's because people thought salamanders created fire. Right. But the reality was that when a fire started somewhere the salamander might be in the underbrush or actually in sort of yeah. moist soil or a little it, it's getting out there too sweet yeah. so somebody would start a fire somewhere like a bonfire next thing a salamander's coming out and get, oh, a salamander is born of fire wow. but he's just trying to get out of the yeah, way of fire it's dry yeah. yeah but then again that's like i say that's that's another in a weird way i mean as we were saying earlier perhaps this is the salamander itself is a creature that can slip between dimensions mm. an interdimensional creature perhaps yeah, not with their hands <laughs> 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 but no, so like it's a, it could be perhaps the perhaps the, perhaps the Suchinoko, perhaps he's a salamander, yeah, or be. maybe he's just a creature in itself that we have yet to discover. Ooh, good now, kid, <laughs> very good. Giant salamanders could be all sorts of things, which could mm. be sort of like a drag you to a watery grave. <laughs> 
And do you want to hear about a place in the world which is thought of as the most dangerous stretch of water in the world? Well, you said that. I think I know what it is. Go on. Stridwood. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, no, because I, I came across it, American, talking about it, like, you know, the most dangerous river. You will never get a more dangerous like, It's Stridwood. Like, what? Fucking Stridwood. We used to go there all the time well, at night. Yes. So this is to give people an idea of what that is. It's, yeah. it's not Stridwood. It's the, stri the Strid is yeah. in the wood. Oh, sorry, yeah. We used yeah. to, like, get, go to Stridwood Car Park and walk through the wood to the Strid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically what the Strid is, is a stretch of the River Wharf in Wharfdale in Yorkshire in England. And um, it's not too far from Cracking Cove, to be honest. Yeah, no. You know, it's only about a sort of twenty-minute drive, something like yeah. that. You know, and it's what it is is the the width of the river there is as it goes further up river and further down river. It's mm. about sort of like twenty-five feet across, yeah. something like that. You know what I mean? But then it hits the strid, and it's only about a metre and a half wide. Is the strid? So that's like about like I say, about four foot wide, five mm. foot wide, or something. Make you know so that sort of thing. It, it's it's a daring leap across. I would never, never. Mm. ever you look at it and think, could I? But slippery rocks on either slippery, side, yeah, and then that it. is middle. And um, and the thing is, you see, with the strid, it, what they say is, it's the river is flipped on its side. Uh, think it is if it's like twenty five feet wide and only a couple of like about a meter deep, meter and a half meter deep in this normal river state. Yeah, yeah. Well, because when it turns like that, a meter and a half wide. It's thinking it's about sort of like 25, 30 feet deep. Yeah, there, I've heard know. it. On picture on Street Wood, there's a little man in it, like, you know, to give perspective in a little, um, not sailors. <laughs> 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 oh, you mongrel. <laughs> uh, in a frog spot. Not a frog spot suit, it's a frog <laughs> suit. A frogman suit. Thank you. Yeah, yeah a Woo! diver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you would have cut it short. Yeah, diver. Uh, and he's tiny little diver dude at the bottom of it. He's like waving to a picture and that. But it's like, God, it looks really scary indeed. Well, what, what's put me onto the strid, right, is the fact that I've just been looking at a YouTube video that um, another friend of the show, Mr. Dremmy, getting another shout out there, mate. He sent me on um, Facebook, uh, on Twitter, sorry, he sent me a message. I do get a few little messages on Twitter, so do get in touch with us at Crack and Cove. Send us your strangenesses. Mm. Love to hear from you. And he sent me this link to the strid. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the rumour is it's not 20 feet deep, right? Yeah. It could be 20 metres deep. Oh, right? Oh. So this guy, this young lad, he went across, he had a thing like a fishing line, and he had attached to it a thing that tests the depth of yeah. water, right? So he went across to these oh, very stretches of the strid, right? And he put this ball on the water and it checks the depth. And you know when you have like on a fishing boat and you, you can see like a depth, yeah. depth finder sort of thing. He's doing that. And it sort of goes to 20 metres and then suddenly it just drops to 25 metres deep, right? Oh. Now 25 metres deep is, is big. It is, yeah. isn't it? You know, that's that sort of like as massive as that. Then it plummets more. Oh, what? And it suddenly hits a depth of 50 metres. And as he moves along and moves along, it hits a depth of 65 metres at oh its deepest. Man. Now, to give you some perspective, another landmark by us is is uh, Malham Cove. Yeah. That's 85 metres deep. God. So, to, so, this, so this crack that runs through this river that goes to this almost impossible depth is 65 oh metres down. Oh my god, Malum Cut is just massive when you look up there. Yeah, it's huge. Just to describe it more though, because it's like, you know, the river does 
turn sideways and it's, it, it, it's how do you describe that rock it's really what kind of rocks are it, it, well it, it's it's just large well i mean it's large flat slabs of rock isn't it yeah. big boulders and it shoots on. through that gap you know and yeah. then it kind of goes down a meter or two to hit like the pool yeah it's like yeah it's a drop and it's furious i mean the water is just furiously pumping yeah. through it because it's a vast amount of water is just forced through this fine fine crack yeah. like I say it's only you can like see it burrowing every year it'll be burrowing down and down more that's right? actually what we think is happening yeah. it's, it's building caves wow. and channels and stuff down there because it's always famed to us that if you go in it there's no way out you've got to get pushed deeper and deeper that's and deeper it. and then you've got to get pushed just down you won't ever boil back up well, this is what this is about. This is so. This is stories by Jonathan Sherman of Ranker, and it says Bolton Strid, the stream that swallows anyone who falls in. Oh my God! And it says a small portion of the River Wharfe in the north of England is a beautiful stretch of river that looks straight out of a fairy tale. And it does. It's insanely yeah, beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And while one might expect to find a unicorn drinking from its water, or a lone knight on an epic quest to save a fair maiden. <laughs> What they will most likely find instead is their own demise. <laughs> the small and twisting portion known as Bolton Strid, or the Strid, yeah. us, is an infamous natural trap that has lured many into its seemingly calm waters only to extinguish their lives. Thanks to its rumoured 100% mortality rate oh. for those unlucky enough to fall in, the Bolton Strid is known as the most dangerous stretch of water in the world. God. <laughs> so we've got a few tales here about what it's all about, you know. Yeah, yeah. So the reason the Strid's unknown but presumably high body count is that about 100 yards upstream flows the much larger River Wharf, which is approximately 30 feet across. And this large river is then funneled into the thin Strid in a twisting stream, creating a bottleneck effect. And the thing is down there, it says that the... Uh, the the area below mm. is lined with rocks under the water and jagged. Uh. So as you're forced at extreme speed through <laughs> that gap, <laughs> oh, that's nasty. you just get uh, cheese grated up and yeah, that. Uh. That's it, you know. So thanks to, and this is, it looks safe, it looks tempting, and it will kill you. So thanks to YouTube vlogger Tom Scott, who visited the stream in 2016, many of his followers got their first look at the terrifying stream. And while Scott acknowledges that the rumoured 100% mortality rate that the Strid claims may be hyperbolic, the stream is certainly dangerous. And he explains in the video, he says, Generally you can see the dangerous waterways coming. This is just an innocent looking stream in the middle of the woods. And that's from the surface, it does look yeah, like that. It yeah. does look like a tiny little stream. And you could jump over it, and people occasionally do. But if you miss that jump, it'll kill you. And you can't help sizing it up when you're there. You look at it and think, oh, God. No, that's it. You know, it's the, the whole undercut of it is, is full of winding, sort of like. Uh, because, well, as you know, the stream is part of the river wharf, and the name originates from the old English word of weoth, which is translated as winding river. And the windiness of the river of the, of the strip only adds to its danger as the speed of the water, the jagged edges of the bank, have over time led to underground caves and to tunnels being worn away. So it's very, very weird, you know? Now, the oldest legend about the Strid, it goes back to 1154. Wow. When a young man named William de Romilly, right, called the Boy of Egremont, attempted to leap the Strid while on a solo hunting trip. And when he missed his mark, he was swept under, never to be seen again. Uh. 
And as the legend has it, William's mother was so grieved by the loss of her son that she donated the surrounding land to the community of Augustinian monks so that they would pray for her son's soul. And these monks went on to found the famous Bolton Abbey. Ah, and also, let's face it, the strid's been around for a long time. How many people is it? Yeah, well, I've got a good story about it anyway when you're done. Well, we might cover it. It might be a little story. Who knows? Because yeah. this is about the couple swept away on the honeymoon. Yes, that's it. <laughs> yeah. We used to get smoked up. We got you know in winter, Halloween, you know, around that time, pitch yeah. black, and we used to be walking through woods telling that tale about because you're supposed to see a ghost, aren't you? Down oh, there. Oh no! Uh, but we used to you remember Red Rum from The Shining. Red Rum. Yeah, yeah. We used to go straight word, straight word. Like promise you, at time we got there, we'd be shouting it, pitch black, no torch, and that. <laughs> Well, this is the twenties, the twentieth century story. Is this? So the Bolton uh, Strid proved to be its insatiable hunger for human life, and it's not been satisfied. In 1998, Barry and Lynn Collette were hiking along the wharf on the second day of their honeymoon, when disaster struck, and water levels rose an estimated five feet in less uh, than a minute. What? So it was almost like a flash flood just came surging down while they were on the, the rocks on the side of the yeah. street. It just came barreling down and oh swept the bolt away, right? Lynn was found six days later in West Yorkshire, and Barry was not found until a month later, ten miles downstream. Oh, mate, you want a pretty picture. Yeah, being just in bits. Oh, what it's like it's hungry for bodies, anyway, it swells up and just takes you. A man named Desmond Thomas claimed that he'd seen the face of a man rise out of the water at the Strid, saying, the face popped up towards me. Within a matter of seconds, disappeared. Oh, God, I thought he, goes, he comes up and says something and goes sunk back down Somebody, again. Yeah, well, he just appears uh. a white face. Oh, Imagine the white face bobbing oh, out the street. Mate, looking right in eyes he's like Ben Gardner or something. Yeah, like Ben Gardner. <laughs> That's Jaws. Oh, uh, is that Ben Gardner, that? Yeah, in the boat, that one who pops out underwater. Oh, and Matt Oak was under there, yeah? <laughs> don't, test me, don't test my knowledge about Jaws, son. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, 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 maybe I will do. Maybe I will do at one point. But <laughs> you can try. The Lady of the Dunes. Oh no, about that. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Right, yeah, with the, the headscarf on. But according to another legend of the Strid, two young lovers arranged to elope together. But the woman, afraid she would be caught on her way to meet her soon-to-be husband, elected to forego the bridges across the wharf further upstream and risked crossing the Strid instead. Oh, God. And just like others before her. Star-crossed bride was pulled into the black water, followed by her lover who tried to save her and met his end as well. That's the one. That, what years? That's that's the one we used to tell. That's much. That's much earlier, is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know there were another. Yeah, didn't know about. Yeah. Oh, that's so disgusting. What about this? Well, this is awful. In a tragic accident that occurred in 2010, wow, the Strid took eight-year-old Aaron Page. Oh, no. The young boy was celebrating his birthday on one of the hottest days of the year, playing on the slippery stepping stones that lined the strid. He slid down the steep riverbank and fell into the water below. Oh, God, look. A passerby reportedly grabbed hold of the young boy in an attempt to save him, but the strong current yanked Aaron from his grasp and dragged him below the surface where he disappeared. His remains weren't found until more than three hours later. Terrible. That is awful. That's what it's like. It's so picturesque, and you know, you, you get close, and you're laughing nervously, getting closer and closer to it. You know, the, but then you, you look at it and think, Jesus Christ, one yeah. slip, one mistake. That's it. This is 
Many mysterious natural death traps are supposedly haunted by a ghostly or demonic entity. Mm. Such is the case with the Bolton Strid. And the legend says when the Strid claims someone, a spectral white horse rises from the bubbling waters of the wharf as the body is dragged down to its watery grave. Strid <laughs> <laughs> In one version of the legend, three sisters from nearby Beamsley Hall went to the Strid to try to see the white horse, which was thought to be ridden by the Queen of the Fairies. Wow. The sisters went down to the stretch of water to see the Queen, but then disappeared, never to return. According to Carolyn Roberts, a professor of environmental studies at Gresham College, the Bolton Strid is far from the only river that looks tempting but actually swallows up those who fall in. Roberts explains the allure and subsequent danger of such bodies of water. Beautiful rivers can certainly be dangerous to humans. The Nile has lots of crocodiles, the Zambezi will push you over the Victoria Falls, and beware of swollen water from the lower reaches of the Colorado. Dirty water. <laughs> she says while the strid is also beautiful and looks innocuous it is similarly dangerous to all these other rivers mm. vortices in the flow will trap bodies under the water close to the bed or the sides whilst the turbulence will render someone unconscious very quickly it means it's not a good place to play oh god so they're saying as well if you think of that they are saying that the strid that little pretty stretch of water is more dangerous than the Amazon River. Oh my the, god. The, uh, like I said, the Nile. Man, I mean, we used to go down there absolutely off as nuts, bloody middle at night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shout out to Monkey Boy and all you who used to be on them adventures. <laughs> Jesus, uh, man, that's scary. Is that? yeah. we, knew, we were all like looked after each other. We never know, you know. We never got close enough to think, right, let's jump over. Yeah. But, you know, we got close enough to think, could we jump over? If you messed up at night, yeah. you, it's not a place exactly. to go at night. Even like day, we used to go walking down the areas and end up there, you know, just have another look. So it is a fascinating, the force yeah. of that water it's pumping very through. beautiful. It is, it's, it's menacing and beautiful. Well, I, I've got another little story about it, actually, because yeah. I've been up there before, a bit naughty of me, if I'm honest, but um, I used to go up there uh, to catch crayfish. Ah, right. So I'd go up on a night, uh, and I put a, a crayfish trap down. Yeah. And then what I'd do is I'd go very, very early in the morning. So I'd yeah. go up there about five in the morning and collect the crayfish and put wow. them in the thing in the boot of the car. And what you do then is you keep them in a bucket of clean water. Yeah. Until they've pooped everything out. Oh yeah, yeah. And then you just chuck them in a pot of boiling water. Mm, <laughs> lovely that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely delicious. Um, but uh, I've read accounts of divers who have dived the strip that've been in it. And they, what they've said is, you, they go down. You almost, it's almost like rock climbing. What yeah. they say is, you can climb down into it by oh. pulling yourself down the sides of the rocks. Right? Oh, yeah, I think you have on, you're on a line as well. You're on a rope. Yeah, and yeah. they said they've dived in the strait and gone so far down and stuff that when you shine the torch around, the walls are seething with crayfish. Wow! Just skittering and moving, and oh. it, it looks like it's all all moving down there. So at night, it is just. Jam packed, the walls are covered in crayfish, screaming and scuffling. Waiting for dead flesh to get all the little pincers and that nibbly little busy mouths. Going for the soft parts first. Straightward! A 
of a light shower going on now. There is, and luckily that, I think that heat from the fire is kind of yeah. keeping us dry. A bit another log on there, keeping yeah, the, keep the heat on there. We get wrapped Ooh, up in that big thick blanket. Yeah, you know. Sausages are just about done as well. Oh, nice. 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 A little bit of sizzly sausage. I love me a sizzly sausage. (laughs) Almost as good as a fish finger. (laughs) (laughs) Almost. Almost. (laughs) But now we're going to look at um, a warrior tribe here who probably wants more sausages than things Uh and perhaps even human flesh. Because this is the mysterious warrior werewolf tribe of Ireland. (laughs) What the fuck? This is from Brent Swanser of Mysterious Universe. Now, Mysterious Universe, great website. Yeah. Thank you very much. And thank you very much, Brett, Brett Swanser, Brent Swanser, for such excellent writing. Makes your job easier, doesn't it? <laughs> Some deep legends seem to appear across cultures. Across geographical boundaries, one legend that has managed to pop up in various mythologies is that of the shapeshifters, and specifically werewolves. A common feature of horror films and literature, such beasts are present in the lore of various far-flung lands, and in many tales are spoken of as being quite real. And one realm where werewolves were very popular is in Ireland. I've never heard that. And here, going back through the centuries, we have a tales of a mysterious tribe of wolfmen that inspired fear and respect wherever they went. Just quick pause, did Ireland have wolves? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. did have wolves, same as us. We had wolves. Just hunted uh, yeah, down. Yeah, just 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 hunted down. Oh, that's speech, a shame you know what I mean? Although wolves went extinct long ago in Ireland, so there you go. Yeah. There was a time when they were rather numerous there, and these fierce animals inspired many stories and legends over centuries. Like in many other cultures, the Irish too had their legends of werewolves, and among the famous of those, there was a kingdom that was called Ossery. And where they dwelled, a tribe of warriors said to the ability to transform into hulking wolves. The werewolves of Ossery, even in human form, were set of a wild appearance with fierce eyes, dishevelled long hair and a taut muscularity that implied animalistic strength, with these warriors often draped in wolf skins. They were said to make their transformations and run amok among, among the countryside, attacking livestock and settlements, and it was also said that alliances could be formed with them. With the werewolves being prized warriors who many tried to recruit to their causes. These werewolves have been mentioned in Irish law since all the way back to the 11th century, God. with one Latin poem about them written in the tome De Mirabilius Hiberniae, or The Many Marvels of Ireland, which reads There are some men of the Irish race who have this wondrous nature from ancestry and birth. Whensoever they will, they can speedily turn themselves into the form of wolves and rend flesh with wicked teeth. Often they are seen slaying sheep that moan in pain, but when men raise the hue and cry or scare them with staves and swords, they take flight like true wolves. But whilst they act thus, they leave their true bodies. If any man harm them or any wound pierce their flesh, the wounds can be seen plainly on their own bodies. Thus, their companions can see the raw flesh in their jaws of their true body. And we all wonder at the sight. So this is a weird one. This is almost like saying their spirit leaves their body and they sort of, they sort of lay there. Whereas the spirit of the animal will sort of, sort of transform into, like a spirit transforms into a wolf. Yeah. 
and they'll race around the countryside and say, for example, if you stabbed the wolf, mm. that body laid there will slowly appear to stab wolf. Wow, with the flesh of the, what it's been eating. And then it'll mouth. appear, and then also God. another thing, if it's eating, eating sort of like, like a sheep, the meat and blood will appear in his oh, mouth. It's like asphalt travelling, but like, yeah. really, like your full spirit animal going out. That's it. What would your spirit animal be? Um, beaver. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a duck, you said last time, a duck sounds quite good. Yeah, duck, duck's the king yeah, of the animals. Yeah, I like that, yeah. I like that. changed my tune about ducks. I look at it with like, a lot of respect now. Yeah, that's it, they can take to the air, they can take to the water, they yeah. can walk all right, and they taste delicious. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and they're funny and all, aren't they? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely duck egg. Oh, aye, I love a duck egg. There's yeah. nothing bad about the duck. Yeah, yeah. The duck is the, yeah, the, the, the master of all its domains. Yeah, definitely. Including my, my mouth. Yeah, my tummy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing about this, though, they say, they, back to these werewolves, they say, the most well-known story related to the werewolves of ossery. Do you know what another word ossery means? Ossery. Ossery. A hoss. No. <laughs> <laughs> An ossery, a different spelling to this, is underneath a, in like a catacombs beneath, sort of like certain cities. and oh, yeah. like When the grave graveyards are all full and everything, so what they do is um, they actually take up bodies after a certain amount of time and clean the bones and mm. stack the bones oh, and that yeah. place where the stack bones is called an ossery alright oh, yeah, yeah so they I are horrifying when you get those real big areas of yeah. is it under Italy uh, there's one under Paris oh, and that's I it. yeah Paris yeah, 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 the, ones, the ones under Paris the catacombs of Paris yeah. are going to be amazing so the most well known story related to the werewolves of ossery is that of the legendary werewolf warrior called Legnek Faelad who was said to be the brother of Feradach Macduach the king of Osri, and the ancestor of the subsequent kings who ruled the land until they'd been invaded by the Normans in the 12th century. So Legnek Felad was said to have been the fiercest of warriors, and the most powerful werewolf in all of Ireland. Right? Oh, that's <laughs> the right title, that, isn't it? And it was he who was said to have carried out the lineage of the werewolves, siring many children who were also cursed with his affliction of transforming into an animal. Indeed, many tales of him being the original werewolf from which all others were created. Right, so the medieval Irish work of Cor Anam, or Fitness of Name, says of Laidneck, he was a man that used to go wolfing <laughs> into wolf shapes, into shapes of wolves he used to go, and its offspring used to go after him, and they used to kill the herds after the fashion of wolves, so that is for that he is used to be called Laidneck Faelad. For he was the first of them who went into wolf shape. Wow. King of the werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> Another legend of the werewolves of Ossery is connected to St. Patrick, who was trying to stamp out paganism in the land through introducing Christianity, and who thought of them as being cursed by God due to wickedness and sin. An account from De Ignatabe Eren, or the Wonders of Ireland, would say of St. Patrick and the werewolves, it is said that when the holy Patricius, or Patrick, mm. preached Christianity in that country, there was one clan who opposed him more stubbornly than any other people in the land. Good lads. <laughs> and these people strove to do insult in many ways, both to God and to the holy man. And when he was preaching the faith to them, as to others, and came to confirm with them where they were held their assemblies, they adopted the plan of howling at him like wolves. Oh, wow. So St. Patrick responded by praying for God to punish the clan, resulting in them suffering a fitting and severe, though very marvellous punishment. For it is told that all the members of the clan are changed into wolves for a period, 
and roam through the woods feeding upon the same food as wolves. They are worse than wolves, but in all their wiles they have the wit of men, though they are as eager to devour men as to destroy other creatures. Oh, well done, God. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, Frickin' hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, the saying here is that the... Uh, they took the form of a wolf every seventh winter. All were transformed into a wolf for a seven-year period, following which they never transformed again. Wow. It's strange, isn't it, that? Sounds kind of fun, though. <laughs> yeah. So there's another well-known account of the werewolves of Ossery, right? And it's written by Gerald of Wales. He was appointed Archdeacon of Brecknock in 1175 and wrote of the werewolves in the 12th century, Topographica Hibernica, or the Topography of Ireland. Mm. It says, the tale is about a priest who is travelling through Ossery in the dark woods on his way from Ulster to Meath, along with a young squire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yes. <laughs> I bet he was. And at some point, they're sitting around a campfire, just like us. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not going to book What you different? <laughs> Ain't hanging out at back up. <laughs> Keep your young squires back doors in. <laughs> right, so they're sitting on the campfire, right? Campfire, right? And they hear a voice which tells them not to be afraid from the darkness, right? And the priest peers into the darkness but cannot see from where the voice comes, so he asks the stranger to step into the firelight. The stranger refuses, explaining that his bestial appearance would greatly frighten them as he is in the form of a wolf due to a curse placed upon him. Wow, that's cool. This stranger then tells the priest that his wife has the same curse and that she is dying and needs the priest's service. And the wolf says, I am a member of Clan Altar, a tribe of this region, and like yourself, Father, we are believers in Jesus Christ and the power of his salvation. We are natives of Ossery, who, through the curse of one Natalis, saint and abbot, are compelled every seven years to put off the human form and depart from the dwellings of men. Quitting entirely the human form, we assume that of wolves. At the end of the seven years, if they chance to survive, two others being substituted in their place, they return to their country and their form shape. I am one who lives under a terrible curse. Once I was like you, but now I am forced to wear this terrible form for a period of seven years. It's in my heart I am still a devout Christian in need of succour and blessing. And there are yet more of us out in yonder forest who are afflicted with the same curse. And although we wear this ghastly form, we are as human and in need of salvation as any other people. The sin which my clan committed has long been forgotten but the curse is still in force. It is a terrible burden, Father, and one which will never be lifted. For Natalis is long dead. So as you can see there, there's a wolf in you know human oh, form. So. Imagine how you can really set the scene there. You know, it must have been awful back in the day. You're out fire, so your night sight's gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then looking around, then dark woods and that thing. You know what the hell is out there? I wonder if did he go see his wife then or didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I think so. Um, basically, what happened? Like, to cut a sort of long story yeah, short, there, it looks like the. Uh, um, so while they were actually in wolf form, um, some hunters passed and they actually shot his wife with an arrow. Oh. So now she's not on through the world and she's sort of basically saying that he wants to come and give, give the uh, wife a blessing, you know. And the priest then tells the stranger that he's not afraid and he's protected by God and implores him to come forth to show himself. 
After this, there is a move of the trees and the hulking shape of a massive dark wolf, nearly the size of a horse. Oh, wow. Ambles partially into the flickering glow of the firelight, its eyes fierce pinpoints of glowing red light. The priest can barely contain his terror at such a sight and has to console the horrified boy by his side, holding up his crucifix towards the leading wolf. The wolf is unfazed by the crucifix, <laughs> taking another step towards them, and once again tells him that he means no harm. And the priest then becomes convinced that the wolf is indeed telling the truth, it is not a product of the devil's work. And the priest composes himself and agrees to go to the wolf's forest dwelling to administer the last rites to his fallen companion, where the she-wolf reveals her human form beneath her wolf visage to prove that they are indeed shapeshifters. And after his work is done, the wolf leads them out of the woods and proceeds to give them various prophecies about the future of Ireland and its English invaders before stalking off back into the murky forest to vanish. Oh, that's a good tale, is that? Yeah, kid. it's a good one, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's just think, oh, wow, talking of that, you mean? Yeah, oh, my God, so strange, isn't it? You know, but again, it's it's the, the talk of it in such a way as if you know there's there's nothing strange about mm, it. Yeah, you know? again though, it seems like so many countries have got it. I don't heard of Africa werewolves or something. Yeah, I've heard of Africa. Have you? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we've got a joker at the core. <laughs> Uh, uh, are you getting more cheap shots you want to get out of the way? Oh, oh no, I've had all that. I've had my fun. <laughs> Have you ever heard of any werewolves in Africa? No, I haven't. Yeah. But... I will research that. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sure that the is it dogmen in Australia. In, yeah, they have a dogmen, um, and well, if you think about it, yeah, the whole of the American continent is yeah. werewolves there. Yes, yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, two big places. Skinwalkers, yeah. So yeah. You're, you're, so I'll have to look in Africa. That might be a good. I will do maybe again, like say, look at wolf, werewolves yeah. from around the world. You know, well, it just seems such a repeating theme, doesn't it? It's yeah. Like, God, is it something that is it just the gnarly side of man that you know when we can living society then completely go psychopathic you know yeah. what I mean yeah. but, but that, that, well, the, thought, the thought sometimes is like you say the, the, the beast within you know yeah, yeah. it is, can be sort of as voracious and as savage as a wolf think, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's where perhaps you know Perhaps when these thoughts come from. We'll have to go interview that Barry Mutton, you know, he saw a werewolf at Pudsey's swimming mouth, didn't he? <laughs> 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 Protecting his name there. <laughs> I might try to get an interview out of him. He said it at school locker room, we're all trying to get a shower and that, he burst in. I saw a werewolf last night at Pudsey's swimming mouth. It jumped off roof and everything. It's been a pussy. <laughs> Well, maybe that's it. There's a werewolf nearby. Let's investigate. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that time. Oh, oh, not that time already. It's that time already. But you know that last story actually works us into. Um, a, a very interesting case which I've been wanting to cover for a while now yeah. on the uh, on the curve, and it is a quite scary and sinister one, I think. Ooh. Right, and this is a story that's by Jana G. Pruden for the Edmonton Journal, and it's called Swift Runner's Last Walk. And it was a pitch black and brutally cold when Swift Runner was led from his cell at Fort Saskatchewan Jail to start his long last walk towards the gallows that awaited outside in the swirling snow. Swift Runner 
or his real name it is Kakisi Kuchin, had been told to prepare for death and seemed to have heeded the advice and he walked confidently into the yard, seeming much calmer than many of those that were there to watch him die. Most of the sixty people gathered near the gallows had never seen a hanging, and they were nervous and anxious about what was about to happen. Sheriff Edward Richard had been delayed by the snow and weather and was flustered by the late arrival at the fort, and the hangman too appeared nervous. The execution was being ordered to take place at 7.30am on December the 20th, 1879. With less than half an hour left to go, it was discovered that the crowd had taken the trap from the gallows and burned it as kindling, Ugh. and that the hangman had forgotten to bring his straps to bind the prisoner's arms. As the sheriff and hangman rushed about to get the scaffold ready again, Swift Runner sat near one of those fires that had been lighted nearby, joking and chatting and snacking on pemmican, which is a type of jerky, and a thick noose hanging loose around his neck. Ugh. He said, I could kill myself with a tomahawk, if you like, and save the hangman further trouble. <laughs> cool. Was, yeah, cool guy, yeah. <laughs> so Swift Runner was well known about Fort Saskatchewan settlement. He was a striking six foot three, with a strapping build and what one policeman called as ugly and evil looking a face as I have ever seen. Would you like a look at uh, Oh, well, I love the look. You've got your M.O., to be honest with you. You're six three, aren't you? Yeah. Like, like, kind of really ugly face. <laughs> <laughs> He isn't actually ugly, he's just yeah, a, he's just a big right, guy. Yeah, he's alright, isn't he? Yeah. He's fucking uh, chasing me. But he's a, he's a, a native a Native American. Yeah. Or a native Canadian, if you like. Yeah, yeah. You know, in, in, in one of the indigenous people, is the, the correct term. He had once been known as a smart and trustworthy person, a reputation that won him a job as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. But as one newspaper story would later point out, his contact with white men had ruined him. This ruination came in part from an inordinate fondness for the whiskey that was smuggled into the area disguised as medicine. And Swift Runner was known to be an ugly customer to meet when he was on a spree. <laughs> so ugly that some people called him the terror of the whole region. Oh God. The police sent Swift Runner back to his tribe where he caused so much trouble that he turned the creek camps into little hells. Oh and was eventually turned out from that community altogether, retreating to the wilderness with his wife, his mother, his brother, and six children. But because he was such a good hunter, everybody just thought, well, they're away. Yeah, he's, yeah. He'll survive, he's fine, yeah. he's just going to be fine. But the police started to hear stories in the spring. A Cree chief said Swift Runner had turned cannibal. Oh, not his own family. And a hunter reported that Swift Runner's entire family had been killed in the woods, but a squad of officers who went out to investigate couldn't find Swift Runner or his family. And instead, Swift Runner went to the police himself in the spring, telling them his wife had actually committed suicide, oh. and that his rest of his family had died from starvation. But the officers became suspicious with the fact that Swift Runner didn't look underfed. Yeah, big white to the contrary. Oh, put on a bit of chub. The prisoner arrived at the camp in the spring and he did not look uh, very poor or thin or as if he had been starving, one note. <laughs> Buttons on your shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Burping. <laughs> Suspicious of the story, police travelled with Swift Runner to the family's camp in the wilderness north of Fort Saskatchewan. And after days of searching, they found the remnants of a campfire with neatly piled bones and human skulls. Uh, 
Some of the bones were dry and hollow, empty even of marrow. Oh, God. A small moccasin had been stuffed inside the skull of Swiftrunner's mother, a beading needle still sticking out of the unfinished work. When the officer produced another skull, which Swiftrunner willingly told him that this was of his wife, and without much prodding, Swiftrunner revealed what had happened to the rest of the family. At first, Swiftrunner became haunted by dreams. Ooh. A Windigo spirit oh. called on him to consume the people around him. The spirit crept through his mind, gradually taking control. And finally, he was Windigo. Oh, God. And Swift Runner no longer. Then, Windigo killed an ape Swift Runner's wife. This accomplished the Windigo forced one of Swift Runner's boys to kill and butcher his younger brother. Oh. And whilst enjoying this grisly repast, the spirit hung Swift Runner's infant by the neck from a lodgepole and tugged at the baby's dangling oh, feet. Oh my god. It was later shown that he'd also done away with Swift Runner's brother and his mother in law, although he acknowledged that she had been a bit tough. So Swiftrun was tried for murder and cannibalism by a jury that included three English-speaking Cree half-breeds, as they called them then. Yeah. So they're a mixed race, sort of like... Mm -hmm. so a bit of a bit of nasty old term, that, you know? Yeah. And four men well up in the Cree language, and a Cree man who translated the entire proceedings. A leading Cree English scholar was also brought in to observe the trial and ensure Swift Runner knew what was being said. So they've actually given him an extremely fair trial, yeah, like, yeah. you know? Swiftrunner sat calmly through the testimony of witnesses who described the family being in perfect health when they headed out to the woods. Then they described Swiftrunner coming out of the forest alone. He said, I could not expect to see any of his family because he was the only one left. He said, Kisi se come, which was one of the witnesses. Yeah. There was no evidence presented in Swiftrunner's defence. Asked if he wanted to say anything, he responded, I did it. Oh, God. The death sentence was to be a first legal hanging in the Canadian Northwest Territories, an area that includes what is now the province of Alberta. And he's rat free. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a scaffold was built especially for the execution because they've been. They yeah, haven't they've they've done, 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 done it, yeah. Uh, and they had to pay like an army pension of $50 to serve as hangman. And Swift Runner declined to spend the night before his execution with a priest. He said, The white man has ruined me. I don't think their god could amount to much. Oh, wow, that is yeah. true. But some say Swiftrunner developed a taste for cannibalism years earlier when he was forced to eat the remains of a starved hunter, partner of his, to save himself. God. Others said he'd been possessed by the Windigo, a flesh-eating spirit that tormented him and gave him nightmares. Wow. Two hours after Swiftrunner was led to the gallows, the execution was finally ready to proceed, and he was allowed to eat one final pound of pemmican before he was pinioned tightly with a rope and taken to the scaffold where a thick black hood was placed over his head. The trap fell and Swiftrunner went down with a fearful force, there being a drop of five feet, and he died without struggle. The body was cut down in an hour and buried in the snow outside the fort. Sheriff Edward said that those attended the hanging were satisfied with what they saw. Seeing that the Indians are averse to hanging and they all sort of, that all sorts of rumours were afloat amongst them, um, about the deeds of cruelty that were to accompany the execution, invitations have been tended to the Indian chiefs to assist in the execution. Right. 
So um, some of them have responded to the invitation and declared that it was done in such a way they could no more object to that mode of execution. So they were happy with how it was done. Oh, I'll tell you what, well done, Canada. You know, yeah. the trial, the execution. Everything's super fair. fair yeah. And of course, they just didn't seem to want to do it. It was yeah. a very, very reluctant thing. But one witness who had watched several other executions in the US also seemed pleased with the spectacle. Slapping his thigh and saying, Boys, it was the prudiest hanging I ever seen. Oh, this is just string him up straight after for saying that. So, what we need to look at now is the Wendigo. Mm, I've, had, I've heard one yeah. Wendigo story. So, I've heard an excellent um, uh, fictionalised account of a Wendigo horror. By his tail? Uh, no, it was the fact there was somebody in the, uh, the, the Pine Barrens or in the Willows somewhere. Mm. And, and there's the deep in the wilderness. It was above them, reaching with almost impossibly long arms Ugh. from tree to tree, sort of tracing them through <laughs> treetops. Oh, God. Absolutely terrifying. So the Wendigo, or Wendigo, is a mythical creature appearing in the mythology of the Algonquian people. It's a malevolent, cannibalistic spirit into which humans can transform, or which can possess humans. And those who indulged in cannibalism were at particular risk, and the legend appears to be reinforced by this particular taboo. So Wendigo psychosis is the name conventionally given to a culture-bound disorder which involved the intense craving for human flesh and the fear that the sufferer would turn into a cannibal. This once occurred frequently amongst the Algonquian native people but has declined due to Native American urbanization. And recently the Wendigo has become a horror entity of contemporary literature and film much like the vampire, werewolf or zombie. Although these fictional depictions often bear little resemblance to the original entity. So the way that the Wendigo is meant to appear, is meant to appear almost as like a, a very tall, skeletal, gaunt, you know. So it says, um, Basil Johnson, an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, gave one description of how Wendigos were viewed. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones, with its bones pushing against through, through the skin, its complexion the ash grey of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looks like a giant gaunt skeleton, recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, due to actually eating its own lips Ooh, off, it was so snack. hungry. Ugh. And unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh, the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odour of decay, decomposition, or death and corruption. Oof. So again, very zombie-like. Yeah, there. true, yeah. At the same time, Wendigos were embodiments of gluttony and greed and excess, never satisfied after killing or consuming one person. They were constantly searching for new victims. In some traditions, humans who became overpowered by greed could turn into Wendigos. The Wendigo myth thus served as a method of encouraging cooperation and moderation. Seeing you are a glutton, you could become yeah, a Wendigo. Amongst the Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, West Main, Swampy Cree, Naskapi and Innu, Wendigos were said to be giants, many times larger than human beings. And this is a characteristic absent from the Wendigo myth in the other Algonquian cultures. Whenever a Wendigo ate another person, it would grow in proportion to the meal it had just eaten. Oh. So it was never full. Oh, it just yeah. grew and grew hungrier. Oh. Wendigos were therefore simultaneously constantly gorging themselves and emaciated from starvation. Now this is an interesting piece. 
1661, and there was uh, the Jesuit Relations, which is like a, a like a book on the Jesuit priests mm. who were in the area trying to sort of like uh, um, spread the religion. Yeah. They reported, what caused us greater concern was the news that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to wait our coming had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given to us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual in the people we were seeking. So what they're saying is that this is their people, their own mm. people that were there in the area. Yeah. They were meant to meet them later on. They're saying they came down with an ailment which is common amongst the Native Americans yeah. or Native Canadians. They were afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imagination and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily the more they eat. And this ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy amongst these simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. God, and that's you know, like um, their western. Western is going over, getting that coming down, zombieing it up properly, like tearing at people. Coming down with basically, you could say they were actually sort of haunted, or they was infested by the spirit of the Wendigo. Oh God, that's really good, isn't it? Mad. Wow. Well, weirdly enough, something that's not been mentioned in these stories, uh, which I sort of started to think about, this madness. There is a, 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 a weird little ailment called rabbit starvation. Yeah, I've heard of that when you just eat rabbit and you can die from it because you're yeah. not getting enough food in your... That's right, you're not, yeah. you haven't got the fats, the fats oh. assist digestion. Now rabbits are super, super lean. Yeah, yeah. So this is why, you know the um, uh, uh, the company rhyming slang for talk is rabbit, uh, is rabbit in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it means rabbit and pork, talk. Ah. Now the reason why is rabbit and pork is because to aid the digestion of rabbit, yeah. put pork fat in it, yeah. and that allows you to digest it. Yeah. But what they didn't know, the hunters and trappers in the Canadian regions at the time, yeah. they were obviously hunting lots of different animals, but they were trapping and eating rabbit, yeah. and they were gorging on rabbit and getting hungry and hungry oh because God. they couldn't digest the rabbit. And then you're looking down in your body, you think, you need fat, get mm. fat, and you just look around as a yeah. kid. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it could be something of that. Oh, that's good, is that? Yeah, that's my thinking. Yeah. You know, but of course, it could just be the spirit of the Wendigo. <sighs> So yeah, I find it super, super scary the Wendigo, and I think it's because these examples within the societies, you know, very common. Uh, there's so many examples of like people going to this crazed cannibalism, yeah, yeah, especially yeah. amongst the, the, the Cree tribes and stuff. Yeah. You know, that perhaps there is out in those those mystical forests, yeah, those yeah. starving places. There is just people creeping through the woods, ready, already infected, or already sort of like ravenous, uh, ravenous. human flesh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which means to us the sausages are ready. Oh, lovely Arkin, all the fat's <laughs> dribbling out oh, all over fire. That plenty of fat in these ones, mm. so we won't be going starving, we'll have to cannibalise each exactly. other today. <laughs> so that's the end of the first uh, the first Halloween special. Oh, and it was good, Arkin. Big old good. romp, that, isn't it? It's a big yeah, old romp, well. you know. So we just prod you again, remember, get in touch with your stories. 
uh, let us know what's uh, what, what weird things happen to you or what examples you got. It might even be a story from passed down from your mum or your dad exactly, or your granddad. Yeah, yeah. Something you saw and you during the war. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let us know if you know any strange stories. We should be aware of. Yeah, we uh, win that fantastic book. That's exactly well, it. Jelly. Yeah, we've got got a great book there, so you can uh, you can have a uh, we'll get that in the post here if you happen to win the best story. So it just remains me for me to say a very spooky bye-bye from Matt. And it's a terrifying bye-bye from Benny. <laughs> See you guys. Take care. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at podcast at gmail.com On Twitter at Kraken Cove Or Instagram at Crockett Cove Pond. Ha ha!